Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and a videocast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Speaking of traveling the world, we're here in beautiful Taipei, Taiwan, exploring this amazing city. It's our first time ever to Taiwan. So uh, we'll be trying out all the different night markets and the street food and connecting with the locals and even learning some Mandarin. Uh, boy, is it tough to learn Mandarin with the four tones and uh, all of these high-pitched, uh, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, vocabulary, so I find it quite difficult. So stay tuned as we improve our Mandarin as we explore Taipei, uh, Taipei, Taiwan, and beyond. And as we're traveling, we love interviewing fellow world travelers, fellow internet marketers, fellow digital nomads, fellow travel bloggers. And we have one on the show here today. Our guest today is actually joining us from another Asian capital city. He's in Bangkok, Thailand, and his name is Robert uh, Schrader. Robert Schrader, he is the founder of Leave. Your Daily Hell. <laughs> what a cool name for a blog. Just looking at it makes me smile. Leave Your Daily Hell. And of course, uh, we've all been through that, you know, in our home cities, our hometowns, so with our jobs. We've had uh, this quote-unquote daily hell. And now that we've traveled and we've explored the world, it's much more of a daily heaven. <laughs> so I would rather have a daily heaven. How about you guys watching and listening? So uh, we're going to be talking about Robert's own journey. Uh, to leave his own daily hell, to travel the world, his own blog, uh, how he does travel coaching, gets travel sponsorships, and much more. So, Robert, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing over there in beautiful Bangkok, Thailand today? Um, you know, I'm doing very good over here in Bangkok, Thailand. How are you in Taipei? It sounds like you're really enjoying Yes, it's an amazing uh, place, and I, I love uh, Bangkok has amazing street food too. So I would say they're rivals, you know, in terms of amazing street food. Bangkok's definitely up there, and only Vietnam's up there. And of course, here in Taipei, they definitely have some amazing street food, and Hong Kong is up there as well in terms of Asian street food scene. So, why do we get to know you, Robert? Uh, you know, uh, share with us a little bit more about your background and yourself for everyone who's listening and watching here today. All right. Well, I mean, I don't really. You know where to start, but um, I'm originally American. I lived there until Donald Trump was elected president, and then I couldn't live there anymore. Um, I've been running my travel blog for about the past eight years. Um, I first left the United States uh, about nine years ago um, to go teach English in China, and that was sort of what led me into. Uh, thinking that I could be a blogger for a living. And, um, you know, that's a very condensed version of a story that I could write a book about. But uh, basically over the past eight to nine years, I have uh, left my daily hell as my blog title um, to make my and to travel the world while doing so. Awesome. And you know, a lot of us start that way, like you mentioned, as teachers. I actually did that as well. I left Vancouver, BC, Canada, where I'm from, and I taught English in Japan, and really I developed my own travel muscle and my own travel passion, my travel bug, traveled around Asia and Europe and Australia and South America, and now I can't stop. It's just so addictive. So uh, in terms of your own story, I would love to trace it back to that breaking point, if you want to call it the breaking point. Did you go through a depression, a breakup, uh, uh, you know, like just uh, uh, anger at your boss? Tell us about what happened uh, in terms of uh, living in the U.S. and the state of your soul uh, to leave uh, everything behind and travel the world. Tell us that story. Well, 
So it's interesting. I don't know if you watch The Simpsons, but you know, they always show Homer Simpson falling down the stairs and don't, don't, don't. Well, so after graduating from university in 2006, um, I feel like my professional trajectory was sort of like that. I um, got a job at Dell selling computers. I was very good at it, but I hated it. Uh, then I took another step down. I got a job at a public university as a financial aid counselor talking people into student loans. Took another step down. Then I got a job at a cancer center doing data entry. And by the time um, about two years had passed, I was in a restaurant waiting tables, which is what I had done uh, to get myself through school. And um, unfortunately, as the U.S. economy uh, fell into a recession in late 2008 and early 2009, I was unlucky enough to lose my job as a restaurant server. And here I am at the bottom of the proverbial stairs, just, you know, educated, but, but unemployed and seemingly unemployable. And yeah, I did become very depressed. I started to question my intelligence and my self-worth and my future. And I was only 23 or 24 years old, which was the worst part of it. And so, although I didn't end up uh, taking the offer to teach in China until November of that year. I ended up, you know, spending the summer unemployed and hapless and, and whatnot. Um, I initially got an offer to teach English uh, in Korea in January of that year, but thought, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm going to try to find a job closer to home. And, you know, after failing at that for about 11 months, I, I took the China opportunity. It's what I thought would be a last resort, you know. I think initially my hope was that I'd just go over there and pay off some of the debt that I had incurred while I was unemployed and then come back to America and get a real job. I had a very distant dream that I would be able to do something like what I am doing now, but I honestly never thought that I would be able to make it happen. Well, you definitely did make it happen, so congratulations. Uh, we've all gone there in terms of those dark moments uh, in Vancouver, where I'm from. I definitely went through this uh, depression in terms of feeling discontent. I was living in the suburbs, and I was really yearning and longing for the sense of adventure, and we had to do something, so we decided to travel, and we just decided to do it for a year, and uh, now, uh, you know, we can't stop. We've been traveling continuously for a year and a half, and of course, we stopped, like, uh, you know, base ourselves, like you, you know, you're basing yourself in Bangkok, we're based yourself in Manila, traveling a little bit in the region. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, so you taught English uh, overseas and then you ended up uh, starting the travel blog and you, now you're here like almost a decade later and you're still traveling the world. So tell us about uh, this transition from teaching English to actually uh, leaving the teaching career and becoming a blogger. Tell us about that transition, Robert. First thing was very serendipitous. So I never intended the teaching English thing to be my, my career. It was always a means to an end. And after about eight or nine months teaching English, I had honestly already had my fill. I was over it. I had more or less paid off the debt that I had incurred when I was unemployed. And the idea was that I was going to take the money that I had saved on top of that and travel for a few months and then go back to the U.S. and, you know, be a normal plebeian again. Well, um, about literally days before I was supposed to embark on uh, my trip, I 
got approved to write for this online content farm, which is known as Demand Studios. I think they have a different name now, but anyway, they're kind of a scam, but they're they're sort of a scammy thing that if you scam them, you can make money from it. And so um, anyway, I started writing these articles um, that were just terrible. I think the first one was called Laws Regarding the Production of Alcohol in Kansas. I'm really gonna win a prize for that. Um, but anyway, they had this queue of hundreds, maybe thousands of articles needed to be written. And so suddenly I had this way um, to make as much money as I wanted to every day. You know, it was only $15 an article. Um, but in the beginning, I committed myself to writing 10 articles a day. So I was able to make 150 bucks a day on the road. And so as I started traveling, um, it became clear to me that this wasn't just something that was going to be a one-off or was going to last for a week or a month. And so in the meantime, I had started Leave Your Daily How is what I thought would just be a vanity project. You know, the idea was that I would travel um, writing these articles to make money and then my blog would just be fun. But of course, over the years, I learned how to actually make money from my blog and was thankfully able to abandon Demand Studios. That is incredible. That's incredible because a lot of bloggers, they struggle years on end in terms of uh, making money, getting sponsors. So I would love to hear, what did you do differently? Because you obviously have done something differently to monetize your blog. Uh, tell us about some of your strategies there. Well, you know, it's interesting because I feel like, I, I don't know, am I allowed to curse on your blog or not? I keep it family friendly because I'm known as a daddy blogger, so I, I minimize the cursing. Oh, I just thought I'd ask beforehand, but anyway, so I, I feel like my strategy is sort of like a lot of um, self-employed people, which is you sort of have to fake it till you make it. So um, after I left Shanghai, I traveled consistently for about three months. Then I did head back to the US to take a little bit of a break, uh, still doing my blog and still doing these articles on the side. Uh, but then something very serendipitous happened. I um, had applied for my first press trip, which was to Thailand, oddly enough. Um, and out of hundreds of applicants from around the world, I was one of 12 selected. And so honestly, before that, I didn't really have any idea, number one, that I would be able to make money as a blogger, like as a legitimate blogger. But number two, I had no ideas about how to do it. And when I went on this trip, there were actually a lot of heavy hitters there. So there was Nelly from Wild Junket. Um, there were a lot of famous Asian bloggers like uh, David from Malaysia Asia. Um, there was um, Gary Arndt there. He was a lot less famous back then, but he still had the same personality. Um, and... Yeah, so meeting those people sort of inspired me. I was able to uh, and take what from that and leave behind what I didn't. And I think more than anything, being in the same room with those people, even though at that point I was objectively much less successful than they were, it gave me the boost of confidence necessary uh, to sort of keep on keeping on.
Definitely very encouraging. Uh, you know, uh, the best way to learn the road ahead is to go uh, learn from those who've gone before, including travel bloggers, entrepreneurs, and, uh, you know, obviously you mentioned all of these big names. Uh, a few of them have actually been on my show, including Gary Art. Uh, so uh, definitely it pays to actually learn. And that's why we do our show, by the way, uh, to educate and inspire and equip and to support people who are just starting out, either as travel bloggers or internet marketers or digital nomads, uh, to really learn from the wisdom of those who have done it successfully. So in terms of your blog uh, now, uh, what, do you, uh, what have you found uh, to be the most successful? Because bloggers can obviously produce products, they can do affiliate marketing, they can get sponsored posts, uh, they can do things like you're doing, coaching. What have you found are the best strategies for your blog personally? Well, so I guess I would start by explaining that the underlying kind of engine of my blog success has always been SEO traffic. Um, I think that gig that I had writing for Demand Studios really helped me develop my online writing in a way that's very friendly to search engines. And so, um, although I've focused on certain social media at certain points through my career, I've never tried to build one of these social media brands I focus more on the content itself. You know, they say content is king, and I have only 100 pieces of content on my site, and um, a great number of them rank very high for their respective keywords. And so keeping that in mind, um, I've developed sort of a multi-pronged strategy to monetization over the years. Obviously, advertising is where I started. I mean, it took about two years after I started my blog uh, to be able to have enough traffic to get sponsored posts on my site. Um, but obviously, over time, sponsored and branded posts and display monetization strategy. But of course, as I'm sure you know, and some of the people you've had on know, um, sponsored posts come and go. And there are ways of it where you get a lot of inquiries and leads and, and uh, people that are willing to pay what you ask every month. And then there are months and months I quickly realized that I was going to have to come up with another one. Uh, to finance my life. Um, so in around um, the spring of 2012, which is just after I started getting sponsored posts, um, a friend of mine uh, who actually runs a blog helping people get admitted to MBA programs and has a coaching service of her own, she said, Robert, um, why don't you try to do a travel coaching service? And I said, well, you know, what would that entail? She's like, well, you know, I run my coaching service to help people help themselves get into an MBA program, specifically the Harvard MBA program. Um, you need to run a travel coaching service to help people who don't feel that they're able to travel independently do so. And um, I have to be honest, in the beginning, it took a while, number one, to get people who are willing to pay me hundreds of dollars uh, to help them without ever having met me or knowing anything about me besides my blog. But the other thing is that it took a long time for me to figure out precisely what service I was going to offer that was going to uh, inspire people to spend this sort of money. Um, and so basically the form that it's taken over the years is that I create detailed uh, sort of bespoke itineraries for people um, that guide them day by day through where they're going to travel um, with restaurant recommendations, hotel recommendations, activity accommodations, and transport accommodations. Reason being uh, that I'm a very, very organized and structured and type A person. And I think what I've realized is that what makes a lot of people think that they aren't able to sort of wing it when they go on trips 
is because they don't have this underlying structure in their travel and maybe in their lives. And so because I'm able to provide this to people, uh, they're willing to give me a lot of money uh, in order to do that. And so that's the second of my nation strategy. And then the third, honestly, is that a lot of people find me via my blog for various gigs. In some cases, that's writing content. In some cases, that's taking photos. Um, in some cases, that is going on sponsored trips, although I've tried to keep that as a minimum because, you know, I already have actual advertisements on my blog, and I don't want to be like certain bloggers, which much love to them, get money, do what you need to do, but I want to travel where I want to travel, and I find that if you align your blog around sponsored trips and who wants to pay you to go somewhere, um, it can become very gimmicky or boring very quickly. And I don't just want to go to places that need to pay people to want to go there. Yeah. Thank you for breaking it down so well, Robert. Uh, and uh, I love your whole uh, coaching angle. I think that I also recommend people when they think you're monetizing to get into coaching. It could be uh, coaching on anything that you're passionate about, you're skilled about, you have some experience and expertise. In, and as long as you know more than the person you're coaching, you're golden. You don't need the certificates. You don't need a piece of paper on the wall. All you need to do is uh, basically help them uh, get to where you've been and where they want to go. So yeah, I, uh, I, I love your model there. And of course, uh, like you said, sponsor posts, I could, I was totally shaking my head. I was like, yes, you know, there's some months I was like, wow, in, in one week I've got like three sponsor posts and I'm like, the last sponsor post I did was like two months ago. <laughs> so I can totally relate to that. And I think most uh, bloggers can relate to that unless they're super famous that they're getting uh, email uh, inundations like every single day, you know, uh, yeah, that would be uh, much uh, great to have. So uh, you mentioned something key as well, Robert, which is SEO. Um, in terms of monetizing, you definitely need the readership, you need the network, you need the traffic. Uh, so uh, you've obviously done it well. Uh, tell us about how do you do SEO because there are all these gurus who teach SEO, uh, but sometimes you don't see the results, but you have results, you have numbers, you have traffic. So uh, what are your top advice and tips and uh, you know, what do you want to share with the audience to improve their own SEO? Well, I think what people need to realize is that SEO isn't only about keywords and it hasn't been for a very long time. You know, the Google search um, engine uses a lot of AI now um, in terms of SEO and ranking websites, and it can very quickly, you know, I would say that think not only about keywords, but think about the relevance of your overall article to the topic that you're trying to rank for. Um, and just be as good of a writer as you can, you know, without sounding arrogant, I sort of just came out of the womb articulate. Um, and I can put together a very good 500 word article in about 20 minutes. That's just, that's just one of my skills, one of my talents. Um, and I think that for a long time, bloggers and internet writers who aren't bloggers, um, were able to sort of skirt by on the fact that they could find in-demand keywords and plug them into their article a million times and Google was too stupid to realize that that's what they were doing and I think what a lot of people in the travel industry and outside the travel industry are now realizing is that actually if you want to rank in Google these days you have to be a pretty good writer um, so, so that would be the other thing I would say if you're not a good writer uh, you know 
again, I don't think you can take a course to become articulate, um, but maybe brush up on your grammar, sentence structures, uh, spell check your documents a couple more times, um, uh, read them aloud to make sure that they actually sound fluid and fluent. Um, and, and yeah, content is king and focus on the content, be topical, um, be engaging, um, and be enthusiastic too. There's nothing worse, um, than going to a blogger's website and feeling like they're, you know, reading a eulogy at the funeral of their grandma that they didn't really like. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to veer too much off SEO. I don't know if Google's AI is that smart to where it can get bored, but I feel like all of this is sort of connected and that if you are not writing an article you would want to read, then chances are uh, very few people are going to get directed to it or want to read it. Definitely some solid tips, Ed. You know, everyone who's uh, SEO kind of guru will mention this whole thing about content king, content king. Uh, you can keyword yourself to death and you can uh, hyperlink yourself to death, but if you don't have solid quality content, uh, you're definitely uh, in trouble. So uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there, Robert. Uh, so with this whole idea of leaving your daily hell, I'd love to unpack that because a lot of our listeners on our show, on our podcast, they haven't left the daily hell yet. They're in a cubicle. Uh, they're in this their hometown, and they want to be digital nomads. They want to be internet marketers, travel bloggers, but they haven't started. So this is kind of your specialty. What would you say are your top tips for that person who's listening and watching in the cubicle in the rush hour traffic, and they're living the daily hell right now? Well, I mean, I would say that the, the first key is in the first word of my blog title. You know, it's really a call to action. And you have to leave in some way. You have to, you know, when I, so let me backtrack for a minute. So right after I left Shanghai, um, I was traveling to Vietnam. That was the first country I visited. And I saw this uh, graffiti on a wall in a beach cafe somewhere. Um, and it said, jump, a net will appear. And at the time, it was kind of serendipitous because, of course, I had just taken a few leaps and, you know, nets had more or less appeared. But I truly believe that that's the case in life. And now I, I understand that not everybody is a single young American and there are constraints that might prevent you from leaving your job tomorrow or getting on a plane tomorrow or what have you. But I think the key is that whether you actually physically leave or whether you just leave the mindset you had behind permanently um, and in tatters, you really have to make a intentional shift. You have to take action and you have to make tangible progress towards wherever you want to be in the future. So for me, that was getting on a plane and flying to China. And then after that, um, you know, getting on a plane from China and flying somewhere else and, and, and leaving my teaching job behind. You know, more recently, it was leaving the United States of America behind when my fellow citizens were stupid enough to elect Donald Trump president. So it's about deciding where you want to be and taking specific, actionable, intentionable, intentional steps uh, toward getting there. Because thinking about it is not enough, you know? I remember before I moved to China, my good friend Gina, um, she told me, Robert, you have a lot of ideas of acting towards any of them. And that was actually what inspired me to, to accept the job offer and to book the flight and to add all in motion. And I think that, 
if you're thinking and you're talking, but you're not taking action, uh, then you're going to stay trapped in hell. And that's not a good place to be trapped in, Robert. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned this whole action piece. Uh, we hear the Nike slogan, obviously, just do it. Uh, and sometimes we think of this action as really lofty or grandiose. But I think that action can be as small as posting, you know, social media. For us, like, when we, me and my wife, we talked about it, we just posted on social media. We're like, if we keep talking about it, it's never going to happen. We're going to post on social media saying, we, we've decided to travel as a family and we're going to do it, uh, you know, at the end of this year. And that action, even though it's like one sentence or two sentence status update, there was so much power to that because all of a sudden we, uh, we declared it to the universe, to our social media network, to our friends, our family, that we were going to do it. And then when you do that declaration, uh, then you can kind of figure out the logistics and uh, the money side of things and when are you going to depart side of things, what are you going to do with your stuff side of things. But I couldn't agree with you more about this action, 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 even if it is hiring a travel coach or listening to a podcast and, uh, you know, like uh, buying that plane ticket. That's key, right? And uh, uh, buying the Lonely Planet, you know, it's as simple as that. Buying the Lonely Planet and you already start to change the mindset. And uh, you, you, you switch from like a suburban mindset to more of like, okay, I can picture myself in Bali. I can picture myself in Chiang Mai. I can picture myself uh, traveling around Europe, right? So yeah, your, your, your advice is definitely spot on, Robert. So you're now in Bangkok, Thailand. As you mentioned, you don't like the president. I don't want to get too much into politics. Um, I don't either, by the way. But anyway, uh, you're now in Thailand and you're probably going to have to wait till 2020 until the president uh, maybe gets... Uh, Boot it out. But uh, in the meantime, are you going to base yourself in Thailand? Are you planning to return when Hillary or whoever else becomes president? Or what are your plans? Tell us about your future, your vision, and a little bit about what's to come. Well, what I'm really hoping is that I wake up in a hospital one day and realize that the entire past two years were a coma <laughs> and that Hillary actually is president. Um, but Apart from that, I don't really know. You know, I love Bangkok. So I I had um, visited Thailand probably two dozen times prior to deciding to move here, which is part of why I did come here. Um, but, you know, there are some issues with living in Thailand. You know, it's more or less modern, uh, but there's still some third world problems like police corruption, um, some sanitation and pollution issues. There's the fact that... Um, they don't have any sort of digital nomad visa. So I have to leave every 30 days and come back in on a tourist visa and they could theoretically deny my re-entry at any point if they really wanted to. Um, so I'd like to stay in Thailand for a while. Um, uh, you're in Taipei right now. That's one of my other favorite cities in Asia and I could definitely see myself living there at some point. Um, but you know, it's funny. So, and I know you don't want to get into politics, try to keep this as apolitical as I can, but I honestly, if I want to go back to the United States, even when Donald Trump eventually does leave office, um, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've sort of realized, one of the, one of the epiphanies that my travel has helped me, uh, to come to over the years and, you know, now almost a decade is that, I guess Western countries in general and America specifically um, is really not all that. There are a lot of disadvantages to living there, specifically considering that I come from sort of a backwoods part of the country. Um, and so even once Trump does 
uh, leave office, you know, he's not uh, the cause of the problems of the United States. He's a symptom of them. And I think that why would I want to go from a vibrant global city where I can walk and take the train everywhere, where I can eat delicious street food, where I can be around an international community of diverse and interesting people and go back to a place where people are small minded and judgmental and everyone has to drive cars to get around uh, and where you go bankrupt if you have to go to the hospital or if you get cancer. And, you know, again, I, I won't go too much into the politics of it, but I think what living abroad is me and I should say is that actually, you know, as much as I love my family and a, a few other choice people in my country, um, and I don't want to use the douchey term global citizen because I feel like that's so overused and it's so raw and uh, ever, but it, to an extent, I feel like living abroad liberates you from this sort of Neanderthalish uh, nationalism. And I don't necessarily feel like I have a country anymore. I feel like I could go anywhere and be anywhere uh, and therefore be anything and anyone. And um, so, yeah, I'll continue going home to see my family a couple times a year, but I'm open to wherever the journey will take me in terms of my place of residence. Um, and I think that's a really peaceful place to arrive at. Yes, quote unquote, to arrive at. It's more of the internal arrival rather than the external airport arrival that inner place of place of being and uh you know i love your whole sentiments about you know like uh, I, I don't want to get too political again i know I, i'm fired up about politics too but you know i love the whole idea about the symptom versus the cause and the problem versus the kind of the deeper underlying issues right uh like i just think of like two weeks ago we had a couple of major suicides in the u.s uh, that kind of became global news right with kate spade uh, and uh, of course anthony bourdain who as travelers uh, definitely are big uh, fans of and uh, there was a great article after these two suicides which, say, uh, which talked about the problem is actually the culture of America, this culture of depression or this culture of wanting more or the culture of celebrityism. So there's actually some deeper issues with North American society or Western society as a whole. Uh, so you, even if you go to New Zealand, there's some kind of deeper issues. They might be financial wealth and economic abundance, but there's the breakdown of the family unit. There's the loneliness, the, the lack of communication about the issues. And there's some deeper, deeper, deeper issues. Uh, you mentioned in Asia, there are issues too, police corruption and uh, political corruption. And there's almost like, uh, as the YouTube song goes, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it, I, think, I think you summed it up really well. The place you're looking for is really that inner, inner place rather than the outer place. Well, and I think what I like is how the outer journey informs the inner journey, right? So, so the travels that you take in your life help you get to that sort of intangible, unidentifiable place um, inside yourself. Um, and to quote another great old song by Joni Mitchell, you know, I feel like I've looked at life from both sides now. And... Um, I think that you have to have all these different external experiences to achieve wisdom and serenity inside.
Totally, totally. So in terms of your own travels, and we'll kind of end with this uh, question about your bucket list items or places you want to still see. Uh, you obviously are based in Asia. Are there other places in the world you want to live in, like actually physically base yourself? Any major bucket list items, any major travel plans up, uh, upcoming in the next few years and beyond? Well, so that's a very loaded question, but as you know, I love to talk and I love to talk about myself. So yeah. <laughs> um, so my last major travel bucket list item, I ticked off last year actually. So I've been to almost 90 countries on all six inhabited continents, but the one that was at the top of my list until last October was Iran. And I finally got the opportunity to visit Iran last year. And so I think now that I've finished that, I would say that my travel sensibility is sort of obviously there are other countries and places that I want to visit. Like I'd love to go to Antarctica, preferably before I'm 40, just arbitrarily. Um, you know, there's a lot of Africa that I haven't visited. There are a lot of countries in Africa I want to see. Um, I've actually never been to New Zealand, which is kind of strange given how many other countries I've been to. Um, haven't traveled in Canada that much. Um, and, you know, living in Asia gives me an opportunity to explore sort of secondary and tertiary destinations um, that I might not have gotten to do if I'd stayed in the U.S. So, yeah, I have a lot on my bucket list. I mean, at least one comply with Thailand rules. I mean, I, in the next six months, um, I mean, at the end of July, I'm going to Mongolia. Um, in August, headed to Europe. Uh, I am gonna stop in Switzerland where I go frequently because my best friend lives there. Um, and then I'm gonna head up the Baltic states of Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. And I've never been to those states. Um, I'm gonna be heading probably to Oman in November. I, I'm definitely taking a trip to that part of the world in November, but I haven't 100% decided on Oman. Um, then, you know, I have a secondary website in addition to Leave Your Daily Hell called japanstartshere.com. So I travel to Japan a lot. Um, I'm headed to Hokkaido to see the lavender in about two weeks. Um, and then I'll be headed to the Kansai area, which includes Kyoto and Osaka, uh, to see the fall colors in November. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of living somewhere else, I mean, I'd love to be able to live in Japan, but of course, you know, Japan is super regulated about everything. And, yes. uh, you know, if you're not employed full time for a Japanese company, you're not going to be living there. End of story. Uh, so that's pretty sad. But I mean, um, yeah, I'd love to live in Europe at some point, but I don't have a European passport um, and I don't intend on getting a full time job. So I'm not sure how that would work for longer than three months at a time. Um, I'd love to live in like Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo. I really love Brazil. Uh, and Brazilian food and, and culture and and people and um, even though it's probably not the safest or most organized place to live, I think it would be a fascinating experience. Um, and I don't know, like again, I, I don't think I ever want to live in the states full time again. At least you know, not until something huge and cataclysmic shifts in the way that American people conduct themselves and the direction that our country is going. Um, but I would love to live closer to the United States, you know, just to be able to spend more time with my family. Um, you know, uh, 
I don't know how the Canadian residency process works, um, <laughs> but I would love to live in Montreal, for example. That's one of my favorite cities. Um, I've actually never spent any time in Vancouver, but I would love to, number one, visit there. And uh, number two, um, I mean, I guess that could be possible. I don't know. My sister loves Vancouver, and I took her on most things. Um, but yeah, so that was a really convoluted answer to your really simple question. But uh, the answer is yes, I still have plenty of items on my travel bucket list. I travel probably 30 to 40% of my time. Um, and I want to live in Europe, South America, and somewhere closer to the US, but not the US. I know that's, uh, that's always a tough question because like, even for me, if someone asked me, I just started, uh, you know, talking about everywhere because everywhere is on my list. I want to do more of the Middle East. I want to do more of Africa. I've also been to six continents, so Antarctica is missing there. My goal is to see every country in the world. So there's 193. I'm a little bit behind you. I'm at 81 right now. So trying to inch my way closer to that 193 mark. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the world to see. And at least we have, you know, left our daily hells behind and we're living our daily heavens, uh, you know, in terms of the, the inner heaven. So uh, in closing, uh, Robert, uh, if people wanted to connect with you uh, through your blog and social media and maybe ask you a little bit more questions and get some coaching on not only travel coaching, but also on living, leaving your daily hell behind coaching, how can they do that? How can they reach out and connect? Well, the best way is to visit leaveyourdailyhell.com. You know, I do have presence on social media. I'm Leave Your Daily Hell on Facebook, Leave Your Daily Hell on Instagram. Um, also sort of Leave Your Daily Hell on Twitter, although due to character limits, I had to spell it kind of funny. Um, but if you search Leave Your Daily Hell, find me. Um, but my website's the best way to reach me. And um, on the travel coaching page, there is a contact form. Um, and as long as you're not a spammy bot, I will respond to you uh, from the contact form and then my email. So Nice and easy, nice and easy. So make sure you check out Robert's blog, uh, his website, and of course you can connect with all of his social media on there as well. And I highly, highly, highly recommend, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, getting that travel coaching and uh, uh, reaching out to someone because if you're living in this daily hell, you're going to keep living there unless you leave it. So, and sometimes you need that uh, support. You need that uh, other person who believes in you that you, if they can do it, you can do it too. So I highly recommend reaching out. Uh, so Robert, I just wanted to thank you and I hope our paths cross so we can uh, connect and talk all about politics and we can talk a lot more about our passions for travel and philosophy and uh, yeah, you know, all of these different uh, topics that we covered in a little detail here in person too. So I look forward to connecting, as I say, IRL in real life. Definitely. Well, well, I hope you have a nice night in Taipei. Um, I wish you luck in learning some more Mandarin. It's a very hard language. I personally studied a little bit when I was living in China. And um, yeah, I hope the same thing. I hope that our paths cross in real life, maybe in Antarctica. <laughs> Who knows? We might have to wait until there, but hopefully because we're in the same region in Asia, I, I, I hope we can meet in this neck of the woods. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, the, 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 the world is big. Life is short. And, uh, you know, travelers somehow are going to be connecting. So we'll wait for that serendipity 
to occur. And we'll, we'll actually be intentional about making it happen. So, Robert, uh, thanks again, my friend. And I look forward to connecting again. And thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode. Definitely a very enlightening episode in many different ways. Uh, make sure you connect with Robert on his side. Make sure you connect with us at daddyblogger.com. And if you're interested in digital nomadism, make sure you connect with us at digitalnomadmastery.com. And to close, we say cup and cup and sheshay. <laughs>